The text that we consider this evening is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 5. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, with Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, we hope to begin a series on Father Abraham, which will take us from chapters 12 through about 25 in the book of Genesis. But why do we deem that a topic and a subject and a series worthwhile of our study? And there's all kinds of reasons for that. The Bible itself bears witness to the importance of these events and of this history that took place thousands of years ago. Just think about the Old Testament, for instance. And do a search once on your computer of how many times you find Abraham's name coming up in the Old Testament with regard to God's people Israel. Really, the name Abraham is synonymous with God's people Israel. Because with the, with the choice and calling of Abram, you have the choice and calling of the nation of Israel itself. In addition, as is clear from the Old Testament, the name Abraham is synonymous with God's covenant. And when Israel, or when a child of Israel would think of the name Abraham, that child of Israel would immediately have thought of the covenant that God had established with Abraham, and with Abraham, with Israel, the seed that would come out of Abraham's loins. But not only that, the Old Testament and the New Testament as well bear witness to the reality that there are tremendous spiritual and profound truths that are embedded in this history of Father Abraham. Think of the Apostle Paul in Romans 4 going right to the example of Abraham to defend and to demonstrate the doctrine of justification by faith alone already in Abraham's wanderings in Canaan. Or think of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3 appealing to the covenant that God had established with the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, that catalog of saints in which Father Abraham occupies a very prominent position. Think of James, 
who appeals to Abraham as a man who showed his faith by his works. So again and again, the Bible goes to this history in Genesis 12 through 25. And the Apostle Paul is so bold in Romans 4 as even to call Abraham the father of us all. The father of all believers. And in that light, a proper title for this series would be Abraham, the father of us all. Which brings out the point that this history which we consider is very much, uh, that we are very much interested in and involved in the history that we study. Now there is a wealth of treasure in these chapters. And if you ever have time, just sit down, open your Bible to Genesis 12 and start reading of Abraham. And you'll be so impressed at the gold that is in these chapters. So impressed at all of the spiritual lessons and applications which arise right out of the text. The, what faith is, what obedience, what the obedience of faith looks like, what God's promise is, and how vital God's promise is for his church. And not only that, the revelation of God in these chapters is impressive. When we read the Old Testament and when we consider Old Testament history, we see who our God is. We see his love, we see his mercy, we see his power. It's all here. Abraham being called by God out of his homeland to go to Canaan. God watching over Abraham and blessing Abraham. God coming to Hagar and giving Hagar, Abraham, Sarah's handmaid, the kind of promises and the kind of comfort that is moving. It's all here in these chapters. Abraham offering up Isaac. The covenant that God had established with Abraham, circumcision, all here in this history. But what is most important about this history is that this is covenant history. That is, this is redemptive, Christ-centered history that we will be studying. And only because of that is, is it a proper series to have. It must be Christ-centered. Christ must be here in this history, and he is. And for that reason, we call it covenant history. Already in Genesis 3, verse 15, in the Garden of Eden, God preached the gospel to Adam and Eve and promised the seed of the woman, the promised covenant seed who would bruise the head of the serpent and who would deliver and save God's covenant people. And from that moment on, that covenant history was enfolded and continued. Continued through Seth, the child of Adam and Eve. And then it comes to Noah. And the covenant and the covenant seed and the covenant promise are continued through Noah. They make it through the flood. And then are, then are continued with Shem on the other side. And from Shem, that covenant history runs in the channel now to Father Abraham. And God called according to God's choice of Abraham and God will to continue his covenant line through Abraham. Christ was in his loins, as it were. The Messiah would come from this man, the Jew, Father Abraham, so many years ago. So this is more than a history lesson. 
This is redemptive history. And we consider the things which have to do with our salvation through the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's begin our series with the call of Abram in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 5. God's call of Abram. And we'll be using that name Abram, or at least we'll be trying to remember to use that name Abram, until that moment in Genesis when God himself changes Abram's name to Abraham. The call of Abram. God's call with promise. In the first point, Abraham, Abram's obedience by faith. And in the third point, the significance of this call of Abram. Before we consider the call itself that God issued to Abram, we need to understand the context, the circumstances in which God's call found Abram. And that we are told of in chapter 11, at the end of chapter 11. As regards Abram's place in the genealogy and the time in which he lived, Abram was the 10th generation after Noah. Abram was was born about 300 years after the flood. And yet, because of the long periods of time which the fathers lived back then, when Abram was born, it's very possible that Noah was still living at that time. Shem certainly was living. If not that, Noah would only have died a couple years earlier. So even though Noah, for instance, kind of falls away and we don't read of him again, those fathers of Abram are all here. They're all still living at this moment, 300 years after the flood. Abram was the 10th after Noah, and his immediate family is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 11. These are the generations of Terah, Abram's father. Verse 27, Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. Abram, two brothers, and a nephew. Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And so at that point, Abram kind of takes Lot under his wing and is almost a father to Lot in the history that follows. And we will see that. Abram married a woman named Sarai. We learn later in the book of Genesis that Sarai was Abram's half-sister. And Abram talks about that when he explains to, when he explains the white lie that he told when he said, Sarai is my sister. We learn there that Sarai was Abram's half-sister, which back then there was a special provision of God that allowed those kind of marriages to take place. But we learn very significant detail right off the bat Genesis 11, verse 30, but Sarai was barren. She had no child. So already the inspired writer Moses puts us on high alert. There's a detail there that we need to hold on to. And it's going to be a very significant detail in the history of Abram that follows. Sarai was barren. Abram had no children. As regards the place, Abram was born in Ur. Ur of the Chaldees, which was a city pretty close to the Persian Gulf and near the area of Babylon. Already in Ur of the Chaldees, there was idolatry. 
And in Joshua chapter 24, we even learn that Abram's father, Terah, served other gods. So that even in Abram's own home, there was idolatry. And that's a detail that might be of significance later. At some point, Terah took his family to the land of Haran. The land of Haran was about 600 miles northwest from the land of Ur. So that's some of the background material before we consider the call itself. But before we do that even, we have to come to an answer, how many calls of Abram were there? Because when you consider Genesis 12 and then a passage like Genesis 15, and then even Stephen's sermon to the Jews in Acts 7, there's a little bit of question about when and where did this call of Abram take place. When we read Genesis 12, verses 1 through 5, the plain reading of that conveys to us the impression that God called Abram while Abram was in Haran. That is, after Terah had taken Abram's family out of Ur to the land of Haran, and that that's where God called him. But then, when you read a passage like Genesis 15, verse 7, God says to Abram, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees. Which seems to teach us that God called Abram when they were already in Ur before they had gone to Haran. But then on top of that, you have the sermon of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen says this. He says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come unto the land which I shall show thee. According to Stephen, Abram was called in Ur of the Chaldees before Haran. So how do we make sense of all of this? Well, that testimony from Acts 7 is pretty compelling. And Stephen would have known the facts and the history of Abraham more than we uh, Gentiles in the year 2019 would know the facts and the history of Abraham. So that, along with Genesis 15 verse 7, compels us to the conclusion that the call of Abram began already in Ur of the Chaldees before Father Terah had taken the family to go to Haran. Maybe there was a second call or a repeating of the call when Abram was in Haran. Some people posit that. Whatever the case may be, Abram is called, and when this call is finally realized and set into action, Abram is in Haran. So there must have been some kind of temporary residence up there in Haran, 600 miles from Ur, before Abram finally set out to the land of Canaan, about 400 miles away. That's quite a journey. The journey from Ur to Haran, already 600 miles. And then on top of that now, this journey of Abram to, ha- to the land of Canaan, 400 miles. Before the modern means of transportation, GPS, phones that you can pull out of your pocket to find out where you're going and to find out what place you're going to. And we need to understand the kind of setting in which this call took place. 
Because think of what God called Abram to do. God says to Abram, leave your family. Pack up your bags. Leave your homeland and go to a place where, I'll sh where I show you. That's some call to receive from God. Leave your relatives. Anyone who has ever left home in order to move to a different place can begin to sense the kind of weight that this call must have had for Abram. God called him to abandon those blood ties that he had with his loved ones in the land of Haran. Abraham had to say his goodbyes to them and leave to a place he knew not where. Now that's, that's painful in a way, that kind of separation that must take place. Think about the homesickness that we ourselves experience when we are away from home for a period of time. The longing to be back with loved ones, the pain of separation. And why would Abram have been immune to any of that? And yet God does not just say, go to Canaan for a temporary period of time before you go back to Haran. But this is for good. Abram, you're done living in Haran now. Go to a land where I show you. Say goodbye to your family members and pack your bags. It's time to go. But what makes this even more hard and, and tougher from a human perspective is that Abram did not know where he was going. God, in this call of Abram in Genesis chapter 12, does not say, go to the land of Canaan. God says, go to the land where I will show you. Now, it's one thing to set out from home, to leave your family, to pack up your bags, and to set out to this certain place that you know all about. Abram knew nothing about where he was going. In Hebrews 11, we are told that Abram went out not knowing whither he went. That's tough. It's one thing to leave family. It's one thing to go a long distance. It's another thing to leave the place that you're comfortable with, the place where you have safety, and to go to a place you know not where. The kind of uncertainties and the kind of unknowns that Abraham now must enter into. And yet, God said, Abram, it's time to go. Go to the land where I show you. And the sense we get from this is, is as though God pointed Abram in the right direction and said, head out and stop when I tell you. And there he goes, traveling in the wilderness, traveling in places he'd never traveled before. Who knows what kind of people he will meet? Who knows what kind of enemies? Who knows what kind of obstacles? And yet God said, Abram, go. Leave your family, leave your homeland, leave your kindred, and go to the place that I show you. But God did not just call Abram and leave it at that. God did not leave it at go. But to that command, attached to that command, God gave his promise to Abram, I will bless you. That's a significant detail. Because this history in which we are in now, the history of the patriarchs, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, 
It was all about that promise. They lived off of the promise of God. That's all they had. Abram didn't know where he was going, and even when he was in the land, he had to keep wandering around in that land as a pilgrim and a stranger. All the patriarchs had were the promise of God, but on that promise they staked everything, and Abram set out. Now why would God give these promises that we read of in verses 2 through 3? All of those I wills that God says in those verses are all the promises of God. I will, I will. Not necessarily conveying a future reality, not simply that. We use, for instance, the word will when we talk about something in the future. I will do this, or I will go to the store tomorrow. But when you read the I wills of Scripture, it's not necessarily even mainly that God is saying this is going to happen in the future. But it's the certainty and the sureness of God's promise that is highlighted by that will. Abram, I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. I will make you to be a blessing for others. It's certain, absolutely sure, because it is the promise of God. And God gave these promises to Abram in order to support him, in order to encourage him, in order to give Abram something to lean on as Abram was about to do a most remarkable thing. In other words, God recognized what he was calling Abram to do. God knew Abram was a human being subject to all the infirmities that are common to being human. God knew that Abram, from a human perspective and according to the flesh, might be somewhat fearful and have a certain trepidation at taking that step away from the homeland to who knows where. And so God follows his command with the promise. And we spend time on this because we're going to see it happen again and again. And because, as we will see, God does the same thing for us as well. He calls us. And with that call, he gives great promise on which we lean. And leaning on that promise, we do as God calls. Now, the essence of all of these promises in verses 2 and 3 is the promise of God's blessing. God said to Abram, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Blessed, blessing, blessed. It's that blessing that is prominent in all of these promises. The promise that God will bless Abram. But now that in itself is very significant. Because blessing of God implies the favor of God. When God said to Abram, I will bless you, that conveyed to Abram that God's favor was upon him, that God was graciously disposed towards Abram. And already a sense of that, you can imagine, that must have filled Abram's heart with no small amount of comfort and joy, even with so great a thing before him. God's favor was upon him. That blessing in the second place implies God's presence with him. That is, God was not about to set Abram off to go by himself and God simply watch him go away. But God said, 
in effect, by this blessing, I will be with you. My presence will be with you, Abram. So that it's not Abraham all by himself now, but Abram under the blessing of his Father in heaven, looking down and providentially controlling Abram's travels. And in the third place, that idea of blessing means that God would make Abram's way prosperous. Remember again all of the uncertainty and all of the unknowns that were ahead of Abram. God said, I will bless you. And that meant that God would make his way prosperous. And that God would do good for Abram. God would shelter Abram, protect him and watch over him and give Abram everything that he needs. And now all of those blessings are as the fuel in Abram. All of those promises of blessing to set foot with his wife, with his nephew, with his belongings to the unknown to him land of Canaan. Now these promises were not just the promises, well they were not at all the promises of a man. They were the promises of Jehovah God himself. A man may fail to keep his promises. In this fallen world, that's simply the way it is. And some of us may even have experienced that in a very painful way when we banked on someone's promise, but they didn't follow through. And there we are left, straggling, don't know what to do, falling apart at the seams because someone did not keep his promise. But this is the promise of God. And that means that it's sure as God himself. This is the promise of the Lord. Notice that in verse 1. The Lord had said. Jehovah had called and had promised. And therefore that promise is good no matter what. Nothing can prevent, nothing can frustrate the promise of God. And Abram recognized that. Let's consider now the individual, the, the subparts of that main promise by considering verses 2 and 3. God said to Abram, about to set out, I will make of thee a great nation. A great nation. Now that nation, we know, would end up being the multitude of Israel. Millions of people were coming. God would make Abram a great nation. God said, I will make thy name great. Abram's name will have honor and reputation, not only in the land of Canaan, you can imagine that Abram's name began to be known sooner rather than later as he sojourned through the land of Canaan. Not only on account of the tremendous amount of wealth and cattle and things like that that God had given him, but Abram's might. He slew kings, we will see. And that reputation, that name of Abram spread throughout the land. So you'd be hard-pressed to find someone in Canaan who had not heard something of this man Abram who came from Ur of the Chaldees. God says, in addition, thou shalt be a blessing. And that's the end of verse 2. So that God's blessing now is not simply a promise of blessing for Abram personally, but God says that Abram would be a blessing to others. And God follows that up in verse 3. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. So it's not now just Abram by itself, but there would be this blessing that would radiate out from Abram so that those who would bless Abram 
and would come in a favorable connection with Abram, would themselves be blessed. Think about Lot. How do you think Lot ended up with so much cattle and so much wealth that he did? Well, whose arm was he under? Abram. And Lot, as it were, became a partaker of the blessing of Abram that God um, pointed outwards to others. And then also that implies this, that God would curse him, that curseth thee. And now think how those promises must have assured Abram. God was going to so deal as Abram made that journey and sojourned in the land of Canaan that whoever blessed Abram, God would bless him. And whoever cursed Abram, God would curse him. He had the shelter and the protection of the Almighty God that God would now make to impact all of Abram's relationships. What kind of security and protection that would afford Abram. But now that last promise in verse 3 And this promise here you cannot overestimate. This promise here you'll find again and again throughout the Old Testament and into the New. This. God promised Abram, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And it does not get any bigger than that. This was not simply blessing upon Abram, blessing upon those who came in contact with Abram. God said, in you, Abram, I will bless all the families of the earth. Here is this individual Abram through whom God would do worldwide things and through whom God would do worldwide blessing. Tremendous promise there. Now these promises have a spiritual or they have a material and a spiritual character, but mainly a spiritual character. When God said I will bless Abram, the token of that was God making Abram tremendously wealthy. The amount of cattle and livestock that Abram had, the servants, the maidservants, and the manservants, that's all traceable to God's blessing upon Abram. The seed that God promised him in verse 2, I will make of thee a great nation, that had a physical aspect in the whole people of Israel, all of these people that would come forth out of Abram's loins. And by the way, consider what Abram must have thought when God said to him, I will make of thee a great nation when Abram's wife was barren. And already now, Abram must have wondered, how is this going to work out? My wife can't have children. How am I going to be a great nation? Well, we know how that will work itself out. But even though those promises had a material aspect, they were not mainly material. And the blessing that God blessed Abraham with was not essentially material things, earthly, carnal, physical things, but spiritual. This was a spiritual blessing, essentially. And Scripture itself teaches that truth. Because Abram would not just be the father of Israel, but, according to the Apostle Paul, the father of Israel of all them that believe. That's a great nation now of which Abram would be, as it were, the spiritual forefather. There's a spiritual reality in these blessings. You see it with respect to the land of Canaan. Abram would have, would receive in his generations the physical, earthly land of Canaan. But was it all about the land, the soil, the dirt? 
Hebrews 11 tells us that they sought a far better country that is heavenly. So Abraham himself had his eyes fixed on things beyond this earth to heavenly and spiritual realities. And finally, the spiritual essence of this of these promises comes out in that last promise in verse 3. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Because what God promises there to Abram, essentially, is that Abram, in his loins, out of his loins would come forth the Messiah. And God's purpose with Abram was not about a physical earthly land or physical earthly offspring, but God's ultimate purpose with his choice and call of Abram was to give his people the Christ in whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that comes out in Galatians chapter 3, which we can read here. Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul is referring to this promise here at the end of verse 3. And what he says is this. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Abraham. Genesis 12, verse 3, that expression, In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed, God preached the gospel with that. He afore preached the gospel to Abram, prophesying now of what wondrous things he would do through the seed of Abram, the Messiah, who would bring about a worldwide salvation, the elect gathered out of every nation, tribe, and tongue, not just Jew, but Gentile as well. God called Abram. God gave Abram these tremendous promises, and Abram obeyed by faith. He obeyed. The simplicity of the account in Scripture adds to its beauty. God said to Abraham, go. God said to Abraham, leave. And what did Abram do? Verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. That's beautiful. Now see Abram gathering Sarai, gathering Lot, telling his family what God had said, telling them I have to leave now. Going back home in his homeland, looking at the things that he knew and loved for his whole life. For the last time, packing up his bags, saddling the mules or the camels or whatever he used, and now setting out. Abram's family seeing him for the last time as this caravan of his wife and his manservants and his maidservants set out to this unknown land, their image becoming smaller and smaller the farther and farther that they got. So Abram departed. That's beautiful. That simple obedience to the call and to the will of God. And what a lesson for us. Abram did not have all of the whys and wherefores and because and for what reasons. He hardly knew anything. He didn't even know where he was going. God said, Abram, go. So Abram departed. Simple, childlike obedience to the will of God. And in a way, Abram puts us to shame. Because God has expressed his will for us and his calling of us so much more clearly 
in the pages of the scriptures. What a tremendous revelation God has given us in the Bible. And yet, God says go. God expresses his will. And so often we are prone to putting our own pleasures and our own interests in in front of the simple calling that God has given us. Whatever station of calling or calling of life that may be. We'd rather say to God, can you give me some time? I'd like to finish what I'm doing here. I'd like to do my own interests and my own pleasures. May it be true of us, by the Spirit of God, what is said of Abram. So Abram departed. May it be so that we can plug our own name in there. God said go. So departed. Simple childlike obedience. But Abram obeyed by faith. Hebrews 11 makes that clear. By faith, Abram went out, not knowing whither he went. And without faith, there would have been no departing and there would have been no setting out. Abram would have said, I do not think so. The kinds of things that I might experience, the kind of dangers that I might be thrown into, I don't even know where I'm going. But by faith, Abram obeyed. Now what is faith? Well, many definitions can be offered. But let's define faith simply here as this. Taking God at his word. Faith is trusting in the promises of God. Faith is the I believe you when God gives us his promises. Faith is that trust whereby a man throws himself in his whole life upon God, resting, staking everything on God's promise. By faith, Abram obeyed. When God said, Abram, I will bless you, Abram said, I believe you, God. When God said to Abram, I will make of you a great nation, you will be a blessing to others, I will bless them that bless thee, and that in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, Abram said, I believe you, God. I trust you. And leaning upon those promises, Abram obeyed, and Abram set out. Only those promises could answer that need that Abram had, considering everything that seemed to be against him. But he leaned on the promise of God by faith. And that's where the assurance of faith comes from. The assurance and the confidence of faith that Abram had as he set out was not in himself, not in his own strength, not in his own knowledge, but in the promise of God because God keeps his promises. That's lesson number one when it comes to the promises of Jehovah. He keeps them. He is faithful to them. And so Abram banked everything on them and he set out not knowing whither he went. Now that too is a tremendous lesson for us. And we're going to see this lesson again and again, this simple faith in the promises of God. This simple taking God at his word. That's the hallmark of Abram. God calls us to some pretty tremendous things. When you really think about what God calls us to, God tells us to give everything to him. God calls us to give up our lives to him. To commit everything into his hands. To devote ourselves to him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to give everything up for his sake. Not only that, God calls us to give our children to him. And to commit our children into his hands. 
And so all of our life now is governed by this call of God. God calls us to obey him no matter what circumstances of life, no matter what fear of persecution or of suffering. He says, obey me, do my will, no matter what. That's quite a call that God gives us. And then when you consider what seems to be against us, all of the uncertainties and unknowns of our life, the fear that we have of suffering and of persecution, the fear of following the will of God. And yet God gives us promise as well. He does not just say, go, leave. But he says, I will be with you, and I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing. God promises his presence. God promises his favor. With regard to our failures and our sins, God promises the forgiveness of sins. He promises life everlasting with him. And those promises, now leaning on those promises, move a man to give everything and to commit everything that he has to God. No otherwise than by those promises. We're familiar with this even on a human level. When a loved one asks you to do something and you wonder, how could I ever do it? But when that loved one who you know is strong and who you know is faithful says, I promise you, I won't let go of your hand. I promise you that I will be with you. I promise you that you will make it through to the end. When that promise comes, even on a human level, it gives us that comfort and assurance that we need to go through. How much more God now with regard to the promises that God gives us. The promise of his blessing, no matter what circumstances of life we may be in. The the promise of his guidance, of his presence with us. Promise of the forgiveness of sins. When God promises, that's something else. Because this is Jehovah, who always keeps his promises. Throw yourself on those promises. Lean upon those promises. You will never be ashamed because of the one who promises. There is not one man that has ever lived that trusted in God's promise that was ever let down because it's Jehovah, the faithful I am, the God who keeps covenant and who keeps his promise. Now as regards this promise, there's an important relationship that we need to get right between the faith and between the promise. And it comes out even from this history here. Because God does not say, go, Abram, and all of these things can or will be yours only if you do this. So as now to throw everything over to Abram and make everything depend upon Abram's faith and upon Abram's obedience. That's not the connection between the faith, between faith and the promise of God. As though that promise were dependent for its fulfillment on the will and work of man. Rather, it's this. The very promise of God itself by His Spirit draws faith out of us, evokes faith, as it were, from our hearts. The very promise that is preached and that is given kindles faith in our hearts. Lord's Day 25, where does faith come from? The Holy Spirit who works faith in my heart by the preaching of the gospel, by the preaching 
of the promise. Faith moves, or the promise moves man to believe. And we see that here as well. That promise was the impetus, as it were. And then in the second place, behind Abram's faith here, is God's effectual call. God's call was effectual. That means when God called Abram, God accomplished what he purposed by that call. And the result of that was this. Abram departed and Abram obeyed. That's not to be attributed ultimately to the fact that Abram believed God's promises. But because God effectually called Abram by those promises and he departed. Obedience flowed out of Abram's faith, but that faith flowed out of Abram's effectual call with which God called him. Now, what is the significance of this? Well, the significance of it in the first place is that God called Abram according to God's gracious election of Abram. So now we trace it back even farther into things eternal. Why did God call Abram? Because God had chosen Abram from all eternity. And that sovereign election is not only that God chose Abram to be his child, but God chose Abram to be the father of Israel. That's the place to which God had elected Abram, which election God was even now realizing by his call of Abram. So now we can trace it back even more. Abram obeyed, how? By faith. Why did Abram believe God effectually called him? Why did God effectually call him? Because God had chosen him in his sovereign and eternal decree of election. And that was gracious election. What made Abram to differ from Nahor or from Haran or from Lot? What made Abram different so as to receive this call of God and all of these precious promises? What made him different from the Canaanites over there by the Jordan River? What did Abram do to merit or earn this call of God in Genesis 12? We don't read anything like that. We simply read, and God said to Abram, Gracious election. That his father Abram did not make himself to differ in the least bit, and yet God had chosen him. And that reality was true for Abram's children, the nation of Israel, as well. What made Israel to differ? Why should God have set his love upon Israel? Because of Israel? They sinned against God time and again. They were, they were an unfaithful people so many times. Did they deserve that choice and that calling which God first gave them through Abraham? Not a chance. But God had graciously chosen them out of all of the nations of the earth. And that reality God impressed upon Israel again and again. I chose you, Israel. I did not choose those nations over there or those nations over there. You. And not because of you, but because I loved you and because I set my love upon you when I chose you. 
And that God impressed upon Israel really as the chief argument, the chief reason for Israel's faithfulness and holiness to God. And now apply all of those things to us today as the people and the church of God. Not because we had done one thing. Not because we had made ourselves to differ, but because God loved us according to his loving election from all eternity. That's ground for humility. That's ground for gratitude. And finally, the significance of this call, as we've already mentioned in the introduction, is that this was not simply the call and simply the promise to Abram as an individual with no connection to anything or anyone else. This call to Abram is not even just about the nation of Israel that would come or the land of Canaan that they would inherit. But as we've already heard at the end of verse 3, and these shall all families of the earth be blessed. And as we've heard from the book of Galatians, God was realizing his covenant now through Abram. God now narrowed the line of his covenant down to Abram from Ur of the Chaldees. And through Abram now God would bring forth the Messiah which he had promised to his church already in the garden. So that even though we see Abram seemingly by himself walking away from Haran to Canaan, yet in that individual there, in him and through him and through his seed, God was purposing a worldwide reality. This blessing of the nations through the seed of Abraham. We read of in Matthew 1, verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee for the promises of thy word. And we thank thee for thy spirit who works faith in our hearts to lay hold on and to embrace those promises. And so grant now that we, as Abram before us, might believe thy word and believe thy promise and live out of those promises with confidence and assurance in the week ahead. Grant unto us by thy spirit also that childlike obedience unto thee, to thy will and to thy calling for us. Keep sin and evil far from us. Protect us by thy fatherly hand and thy loving care. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, thy son, the seed of the woman, born in the fullness of time, for us Gentiles and for our salvation. Amen. Let us sing together Psalter number 230. Sorry, rather. Psalm 121, which corresponds to Psalter number 344. 344. Quiet trust. One wonders if, even though this psalm was written so many years later, if not... Abram had the same thoughts. 344 will sting stanzas 1, 3, and 4.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.